This is the Wine Me, Dine Me podcast. Forget the etiquette. No rules, just real talk. I can't think of a better way to start a Monday than meeting with you. So today I'm lucky to have Sally Holder on the pod, and I'm going to let you do your introduction. <laughs> You're teaching everyone how, how is your, what's your elevator pitch? What's your most impactful way of telling people what you do? I will give a little segue and then I'll hand it off to you. But Sally Holder is I think first and foremost, an inspirational woman in business. And she has created a career that is all about empowering women. Um, she's a business coach and she wants women to make a shit ton of money. So um, with further ado, Sally, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Reagan. I am so excited to be here. And yes, that is the perfect introduction. My 30 second speech that I always tell people when they ask me, what do you do? Because answering that question um, is really important, right? The answer that you give to that either intrigues someone and encourages them to ask another question or sort of ends the conversation there. So I always tell people I help women make more money and that's what I do for a living. And so inevitably I always get the question, well, how, tell me more, how do you do that? And so I'm always encouraging other women to figure out what their phrase is and and talk about it in a way that, you know, really talks about what you're most passionate about and why you do what you do. And, and I am most passionate about helping women make more money for so many reasons. And I know we'll get into all of that later, but it has been a long journey here. I practiced law for 10 years. I did labor and employment litigation for some of the largest companies in the world and had an amazing career doing that and was successful. And for a lot of people that keeps us trapped doing the very thing that we are successful at at the time. But I really wasn't finding fulfillment doing it. And and that really caused me a lot of internal pain. And I wanted to find um, something that I was, yes, successful at, but that I loved and was dying to get out of bed in the morning and make happen. And so I went kind of a, on a winding road from there to become the chief operating officer of a law firm. And then I ran six different companies after that over the course of about the next seven years, all focused on revenue growth. I sort of fell into that, um, realizing that increasing the efficiency of the business and uh, shifting people's habits to focus on sales and, you know, what made them the most money was really important and it wasn't being talked about enough. And so um, and then I finally had a female entrepreneur come to me and say, hey, would you coach us to do exactly what you've been doing for these businesses? Wow. And I said, uh, sure. What does that look like? I have no idea what you mean. Um, and so, yeah, I really fell into this land of coaching, but I love it. I've had many different iterations of my own business because that's just the way it goes. I think, you know, you try things and you see whether it it is the right fit for you or not. And I've I've never been risk averse. And so I just yeah, keep going and evolving. And yeah, now I now I get to exclusively focus on uh this sales accelerator program that I have that to me is is the quintessential thing that I'm meant to do. I love that. So how long have you been doing coaching just full-time on your own? 
since 2018. Okay. So it's been a minute now. Um, That's why I can say I've had many different iterations. I mean, I've done it solo. I've had a team of 10. I've had other coaches. I've had all different kinds of business structures. But I think we have to experiment and try different ways of doing business until we land on the one that we say, okay, this is actually the right fit for me. Right. And I'm sure you had to pivot like so many of us during 2020. And that- and so, yeah, I mean, Boy, the natural, right? The the natural mm-hmm. evolution of of your business is, I think that's the the hardest thing as a business owner because you invest so much time into this thing that is your baby to be ruthless enough to be like, okay, that's not working anymore, and trim the fat and keep moving. I so well said. It is very true. You do have to be ruthless, right? And approach your business every day as if you were starting it from scratch. Would Mm -hmm. you do it this way again? Would you keep doing it this way if you were looking at it completely objectively and and going to invest the next right six years into growing it from scratch? If the answer is Mm -hmm. no, then yes, that Mm -hmm. that needs to be lopped off and we need to no longer do that. But when it's generating revenue, it is very hard to walk away from. Um, And I get that. I've done it now in the entrepreneurial world, but I I did it in the corporate world too, walking away from something that was successful and lucrative. So I understand, but that's where I do feel like having a business coach and having support is so critical because transformation requires something outside yourself the majority of the time. It requires two very critical things that people don't realize you cannot create on your own. And the one is a container to do it in. And that means a safe space where someone is holding space for you, allowing you to express all of your fears, your you know potential regrets, your excitement, all of the things at once. And then the second is a guide, right? Someone to continue to guide you forward, even when every aspect of your body is saying, stay exactly where you are or retreat. We've talked, we've talked about that. So I'm actually a client of Sally's, which I'm really excited about. And one of the things that we've talked about, and and maybe this is a good segue into my, my, one of my first questions, but women in, in particularly need someone else to show up for, like they are, the, you know, the accountability piece of what you do is so huge, the tough love piece, and then the, just the push. So, you know, yeah, women specifically will put others first. And so to have that support and that push to do the hard thing is, is huge. So my question for you is, why is empowering women, um, specifically in regards to making money, so important to you? Um, So I'll get vulnerable here for a second. I would have answered this question very differently um, about two years ago. But two years ago, I actually learned that my husband was having an affair. And um, we'd been married 18 years. It was a complete shock. We have two kids. And I was just, the rug was pulled out from under me. But my one saving grace of the entire situation was the fact that I had my own money. I made my own money and that I could walk away from that situation and be able to create an entirely new life for myself on my own. And that... I wasn't reliant 
on him to, you know, say yes, or give permission or anything. And having gone through that over the last two years, and even still going through it now, um, but we are divorced, but it's, it's just been a really eye opening experience about how important it is that we as women have our own knowledge and responsibility for money and know about it and can stand on our own two feet. And I know that this isn't everyone else's story by any means. I'm just saying I would, I have been eternally grateful because the hardest days of my life could have been twice as hard right? if I did not have the ability to, you know, completely financially walk away and stand on my own. Right. Um, I mean, oh, there, there's so many people who would just be stuck because of that one thing. And, mm-hmm. and I can relate. I mean, I've, I went through a divorce, um, four years ago and my children, when we separated were six months old and less than two. And wow. I had my business at the time. I'd had my business for a while, but thank God I had that. Granted, I was terrified because I did not have a steady paycheck. I just had, you know, it, it was just a, a willpower willpower to just push through. Um, it, it was a lot of fear, but I had something. And, and then like fast forward to just, you know, in the, this past fall, I was engaged and I broke that off. And if I didn't have, I was financially independent. And and I'm not like preaching financial independence from your partner or whatnot, but it allowed me to truly just step back and remove myself and nothing. I wasn't, it's already messy to untangle um, just Mm -hmm. as it is, but thank God for that level of independence. So I think, yeah, I I respect that. I think, you know, and, and just like you're saying, I'm not saying, yes, you do have to be separate from your partner or anything like that. But what I do believe is that we need to be unapologetic about earning money moving mm-hmm. forward and that we need as women to see that, right, we have just as much worth as men do. And that oftentimes, just like you're saying, society has taught us to be in a role of service mm-hmm. and that women are very often pushed to that position, whether we're serving, you know, a spouse, a community, children, Etc. And so what I see all too often is this, and I call it the life cycle of the female entrepreneur, is that I see we start out with undercharging. Right. Right. In in kind of stage one. We'll see if I can remember this off the top of my head, but kind of stage two, um, right, because we're just grateful to have a business in the first place. And then in stage two, we begin to have clients. There's a sense of excitement, but we are now seeing, oh, wait a minute, I kind of need a whole lot more clients in order to begin to earn the type of money that we want. And so we begin to take on way more. In stage three, we are overwhelmed because we have way more on our plate outside of our family life and personal life than we ever anticipated because that wasn't necessarily, right, a thought through business structure. We just began to take on more and more as women do, you know, so often. Um, Stage four, we begin to feel really burnt out because we have an excess of clients, but now it's not financially making the sacrifices we're making at home worth it because we don't have enough 
financially in order to be able to hire to replace ourselves, right? right. To have enough money to have support, a babysitter, someone to clean the house, any of the other things that we're all doing. And so we begin this push and pull between our personal life and professional life, asking ourselves, should I keep doing this? I'm feeling a bit burnt out. And then stage five is, oh shit, I am burnt out. I can't do this anymore. I can't do it the way that I've been doing it. Fuck it. I'm walking away. This It's not financially getting me where we gonna, I want to go. Personally, it's not getting me where I want to go. And so I'm done. I'm exiting. And that's what I talk about so much is that that whole life cycle is what I want to interrupt. That's what I want to change. And that's what I'm so grateful that didn't happen to me because mm-hmm. had I had that journey that I would say over 60% of female entrepreneurs have, I would have exited and I wouldn't have been in this position. And so that's, I feel like my mission is to interrupt that cycle and say to women, there is a better way. We just need to most often double your prices, if not triple them, and then get you into a place where you're making it financially lucrative, as well as, you know, a a time benefit as well, you know, a freedom of time, because that's what we all want. Why do you think women are so um, co- so frequently undervaluing themselves? 80% of female entrepreneurs suffer from imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. so we doubt that we have the ability. And so we begin undercharging for a couple of different reasons. One, definitely imposter syndrome, because we're saying I am not yet worthy in order to charge what my competitors are charging. I have to start lower until I have enough expertise, enough wherewithal in order to get where they are. Not true. Yeah. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just simply not true. The second is if you're comparing yourself to other female entrepreneurs, then you're going to undercharge because women earn 76 cents. And I'll say this to the day I die, 76 cents for every male dollar in the corporate world. Terrible. I don't understand. We are 56 cents in the entrepreneurial world. So it is worse when we are in control and set our own prices. Now, if that doesn't say that there is a massive issue that needs to be addressed, I don't know what does. And so that is also hampering us because when we're looking at our other female entrepreneurs, we're saying, oh, well, she's only charging X. How dare I charge triple that? Right. And yet that's what you have to charge in order to make a living, in order to make a life. And then also, again, make it financially worth it for you, you know, in your personal life too. Yeah. You you know, and that's one thing that I'm really motivated in specifically in my realm of, you know, event planning. For the most part, the industry that I'm in is a very new industry. I feel like event planners, I'm, I would consider me G2, generation two of, you know, right behind the initial trailblazers of event planning for what it is today, like this big production, this big money making industry where millions and millions and millions of dollars go every single year. However, there is this sense of a glass ceiling of like, yeah, well, there's only so much money you can make doing this, you know, and I, I almost think it's just because it's, it's new territory. And on top of it, I think creatives are notoriously bad for not charging their worth. So it's kind of a a, a double whammy. So what would you say, what are some things to keep in mind as we navigate this developing industry? I'm not the trailblazer, but I am in a way, I almost want to say, 
thank you for showing me to the trailblazers, to G1. Thank you for showing me the way. Now, how do we make this a, a profitable, like shatter those glass ceilings? Absolutely. So a couple of things, I think that you are a service provider at the end of the day. And I do think that way too many service providers believe that same myth that you are going to eventually run out of time and therefore you will hit a glass ceiling. However, again, as someone who practiced law and traded time for money forever, that is an archaic concept. Why? Because the better you get, right, the more efficient you get. Mm -hmm. And so therefore the less time it is going to take you. So why would you ever want to employ a model that is all based on a, a decreasing return, right, on on your investment of time, right? The more time that you spend in the industry, basically, the less you're going to be earning, essentially, because it's going to take you less time. Therefore, you're going to have to acquire more clients, right? Therefore, you're going to have to do more. Instead, it all should be based on your ROI, right? What's the return on investment that your client is getting? And to me, in this experience economy that we have today, your right. industry is critical, right? I think that you are you're in a position to be able to share the wealth of what you are creating for all of the companies that you are working with. And it ought to be shared and you ought to demand that it be shared. And mm -hmm. I think, again, if we look at the event planning, wedding industry, all of those, they're predominantly female. Yes. And so I think that the myth is that there is a glass ceiling merely because, again, that's our own self-doubt getting in the way. That's our right. own concern. And instead, we just have to innovate, right? And the ways that you can innovate are that you decide to begin to branch out and serve your industry as right. well, which you're doing so beautifully your industry, as well as your customer base, which is a great opportunity for you to diversify revenue streams and add another one. But you also can, just like I said, double and triple and begin to evaluate what's what's the return on uh, this experience that my client is going to get and right. make your price point on par with what they are getting. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if Coca-Cola is paying you so that they have a memorable experience and get a million eyeballs on a particular event, what's their ROI? It's probably several million dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. right. And we should step up to the plate and say, I need a piece of that. I deserve right. it. It's right. not possible without me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because in a way, though, you know, I'm... And, and this is me getting vulnerable and sharing what goes through my head sometimes is in a way I'm still stepping into the man's world because who am I answering to nine times out of 10 is father, the bride. He's the one pulling out his checkbook and, you know, going through that. I've had men say to me before, oh, all it takes is a, any cute sorority girl can plan a good party. And I'm like, well, this one guy looked at him, I said, no, those are the people I hire and they are brilliant, <laughs> you know? So, you. you know, but it's, you are, I'm, you're constantly in front of these people who don't automatically don't value you and discredit you and say, why would I spend all this money on a five hour event? And when you boil it down to that, you're like, oh man, you know, but one of the things you've said before is like, go ahead and hit those points up front. Like what are their pain points? Let them hash it all out. 
so you can you talk a little bit on that? Like how do you kind of hit those things head on and and get it out of the way? Yeah. I mean, one of the most important things in sales is anticipating the other person's objections, right? Mm -hmm. If your prospective client is constantly bringing up, oh, it's only a five-hour event, then you want to make sure that you address that before they do. Mm -hmm. So hit that punchline and pull the rug out from under them so that you're saying, now I know what you're thinking is right? Wow, that's a lot of money to spend on something that's only a five-hour event. Sure, that is one way to look at it, but here's another. And Mm -hmm. so you're offering them a completely different perspective shift to be able to say, while it is only one, right, this is going to be the event that transforms these this couple's relationship for the rest of their lives. It's going to be something that they share with their children, their grandchildren, There, you know, it is going to be the photographs that are, right, treasured in your family forever, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the experience that sets the tone for their future, right? And I'm just making these things up off the top of my head. But um, again, there are all of these different value propositions that you can come up with as the event planner and creator to be able to say, these are the things, these are the ROIs that you're actually going to get that you're not paying attention to right now. And I get it right? This is new to you, but here's what you have to think about is all of these additional things that you're probably not thinking about, which I get, I wouldn't be if I were in your shoes either. But they do realize at the end of the day that we, what we do is we're sculpting that memory. We are crafting that memory for so many of our clients. This is such an emotional buy-in that, you know, how many fathers of the brides have I heard that the minute their little girl was born, they thought of walking her down the aisle one day. So then I look at the photo of him walking her down the aisle. And I mean, I just gave myself goosebumps. That's what a cheese ball I am. But like, that's what I love. What I do is like, I'm back there in that quiet moment when hundreds of people are sitting there in anticipation and I am behind that closed door with father and child. And that moment is powerful And that is what we are honoring and crafting and, and, and you can't replicate that. And so that's, I don't know, obviously I'm passionate about it. I I absolutely love it. But here's the thing, shockingly, they don't care about your passion, right? Isn't that, isn't that weird? It's I think that you, we have to pick the right audience to share the right information with. Mm -hmm. And you can share that passion with me. You can share that passion with your colleagues, with your, your staff. But in that setting, what you know that he cares about is probably not your passion, but is something else. So Mm -hmm. what I always say is instead of us talking, let's ask questions and say, you know, we can overcome the typical objections that we have so that those are off the table. But then we can say, but I'm sure that there's something else that you're thinking of that either is a concern for you or that you're thinking of that might have been an image that you've had about your child's wedding. You know, what is it that you've always envisioned? Because I've heard so many, you know, fathers talk about the fact that they've envisioned walking their daughter down the aisle. What did you see? Have you seen that? Have you envisioned that? And so you get them to begin to talk about their vision of what they had hoped for for their daughter. What is it that you hope that she'll experience? What do you want her to have? Like, Mm -hmm. and so when we shifted away from the focus of ourselves and back onto their greater priorities, then 
you know, we don't have to sell anything. They've sold themselves into their own story. And that is that is 100% the shift when they begin to say, yeah, but, and then we are coming up with, you know, reasons or, you know, to overcome the objection to be able to say, oh, but it's, you know, you don't understand. I, this is an, a special moment. Da, 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 da. All they can hear is like the Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Right. And they're in full defensive mode, right? They're pulled back. We're leaning in. And and I always say, we want the other thing to happen. We want to be the one leaning back. We want them leaning in. If we're leaning back, it means we're in the position of power, right? We are beginning to interview them to determine if they are a fit for us. Mm -hmm. And that's always kind of the balance you want to begin to strike in that conversation of, you know, realizing your word. I'm not waiting on you to approve me. I'm approving you. And I'm waiting for you to to tell me that you're a fit for me. Otherwise, you know, I don't I don't know if I want to do this. And every single one of you ought to be doing it that way because your time is valuable. You right. can only take on so many. So they damn well better be the best clients that you can have at the highest price point. And if they're not, here's the trick. We got to wait for them to come. Right. So, uh. That yeah. is so hard. So man, and then I can see the cycle already then comes imposter uh-huh. syndrome of all of that. But yeah, I mean, one of the things I struggle with is my ideal client books within 12 months. And, you know, especially being based in Charleston, everything books, you know, 18 months out. And so it's a very calculated risk that every single year causes me to go into a little bit of a panic, but every single year is better than the last. So it's, it's the waiting, the holding firm, the saying no to those who aren't perfectly aligned. Yeah. It's, it's risky business. It, it is, but that up level is always about doing something different. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that is where I do feel like we were talking about before about the transformation, the container to do it within you know, that's where the coach comes in to say, hold, hold, yeah. hold, yeah. don't do it. Right. Because that's what you came here to do is to seek a higher level. Right. And to continue to push yourself. But yes, it's extremely challenging without support. Very often we, we fall back to our own ways. Right. Um, You know, I, I heard it said recently that it was like, you know, this habitual route that our brain remains in and mm-hmm. the brain wants to stay there. And so, you're trying to kind of pull yourself out of the glue that is holding you stuck. And, and it's, yeah, it's really challenging, but very rewarding. Very, yeah. very, very rewarding. And you just have to constantly have faith that there is something better that is on the other side that is waiting for you. And my argument always is that you wouldn't have the dream within you if it weren't meant for you. Yeah. Right? Quantum physics says that. So if you feel this longing to do more, have bigger events, you know, pursue bigger clients, then you have to give yourself the space to receive that. Mm-hmm. And if you are always full up, with the lesser clients in order to hedge your bets, you are not in a mode of receiving something bigger and better. I think, yeah. And, and, and you're fear driven. You're letting fear tell you when to say yes. And when it's, I love how you say, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no, because that's one of our internal mottos here. It is one of the best phrases that it just speaks for itself. 
Talk to me a little bit about, because one of the things you've told me before is um, doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Stay in your lane. Don't look at the person, you know, to either side ahead or behind you. But what is, what are your thoughts with that in mind? What are your thoughts about putting yourself at a table with people you can learn from? How do you balance those two concepts of learning from others, but then also like doing your own thing? So I always say, yes, challenge yourself. If you're at a table with people that are, you know, one level above you, that's great. Um, But remember what you're attempting to learn from them, right? You're not trying to take away confidence. You're not trying to take away internal skills. You're trying to take away external skills. So you're making note of things like, what are the tactical things that they do differently that I could shift, right? What are the efficiencies that they have? What are the automations? And so you're coming into that space with a very clear mindset and very clear boundaries around yourself, right? Hmm. And I don't advise that people go into those settings until they have done some internal work on their own confidence, right? Otherwise, that can be a very discouraging experience because Mm -hmm. what you're actually looking for and what they're actually going for very often is validation. Mm -hmm. Validation that they're good enough to sit at that table. Validation that they're good enough to perform at that level. And if validation is what you're looking for, you are not going to get it there, right? That is not the place that you need to be looking for that, you know, an an internal thing. Validation has to come from within. Instead, remember what you're wanting there is is only external. And, And both parts of yourself have to be at work at all times. Very often people only talk about the tactical external work. Well, guys, it is not all, especially for women. And that's why I only work with women. It is very much an internal game for us because of all of the right messages that we constantly get inundated with from society that are still very limiting towards women. And I would say, I I still say this today, it's 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. 50% on, you know, who you are and how you show up to the world because that guides whether or not, you know, what your actions are, right? Your beliefs directly guide Um, what you are going to ultimately achieve, right? We get what we believe, not what we deserve. And so your skill set could be at a 10, but if your confidence is at a two, you're always going to stay at the two. This sounds a lot like um, personal relationships, right? Like you Mm -hmm. can't expect to go into a a long lasting, loving, fulfilling relationship if you haven't done the self-work yourself, right? Because first- You could be a dating coach too. (laughs) (laughs) I I will have to have, I've done a lot of that work over the last two years. Same. Oh my God. As soon as I went through my divorce, I was like absorbing everything and anything I could about like just self-growth. And and that then, you know, translates into business. And actually, I think this is a great segue into what I want to talk to you about next. But um, as part of that journey, I really was learning in, in adapting the, the concept of mindset shifts and manifesting and understanding energy. And you just mentioned this, like the energy that you put out is what you receive, the law of attraction. That has been the most eye-opening concept, I think, that I've learned over the last four years that is so powerful. And I love that in, is the undertone to almost, I think, everything you do. 
It is. It really yeah. is. You know, um, I always say too, if it were just about tactics, women would have ruled the world a long time ago because yeah. we are killer at what we do. But I had a sneaking suspicion probably about four years ago now that it had to be something other than tactics, right? Mm -hmm. That I was doing the execution of quote unquote, the things, but something still felt like it wasn't clicking and it wasn't coming together. And, you know, happenstance, whatever you call it, I, I began to fall into this world of the law of attraction. And I think I at first dismissed it because you know, the lawyer in me is like, this is way too woo-woo for me. But luckily, uh, I let my guard down a little bit and started to integrate it into my life and really realizing, okay, if there are laws of gravity, there there absolutely would be laws of attraction as well. And they are both as equally effective. And if nothing else, and you're listening to this and you were like me and very dismissive, like, oh gosh, it, this is where I get off. I understand. But I would just challenge you to think, is your current way working? Mm -hmm. Like that was what I had to do the hard work to ask myself, was my current way and approach getting me where I wanted to go? And the answer was no. And so I was like, okay, then I've got to try something different. And so Truly, this was what took my business from an average of $20,000 a month to over $100,000 a month. And Incredible. it was absolutely shifting my mindset and being able to understand it's a three-step process of asking for what you want. I can't tell you the number of times I have a call, an, an initial call with a female entrepreneur, and she's like, I say, what do you want? And she's like, well, I don't want this and I don't want that. And I no longer want to do this. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But what do you want? And they're like, gosh, I don't know. I, and I, I don't know. I haven't thought about it in so long. And and by focusing on what they don't want, that's they're attracting more of that, right? And they're stuck and they can't get out of it. Magnet to it. Mm -hmm. They will, you can't release it, right? The universe doesn't decide what's beneficial to us and what's not. We do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you are constantly talking about one thing, then the universe isn't saying, oh, that's bad for her. Let me not give it to her. It's like, oh, she just keeps talking about this. So I'm just going to give her more and more and more of it, right? Mm -hmm. More frustration, more headaches. So instead, it is being extraordinarily clear about what we do want and then believing in it, right? And that's the really tricky part. That's the part that's taken me years is believing in your worthiness of it believing in, I, I mean, that's always been my thing, right? Am I good enough? And, right. and, and that's my work, right? It's not ever, I mean, in my twenties, if there was an award to be won for practicing law, I won it. I was like, just give me all the awards and then, right, right. I will be successful. And now I confidently know that is bullshit. And yeah. so anytime I'm not feeling good enough, I'm like, oh, it's me. I'm not believing. It's not that someone else isn't believing in me. It's I'm not believing in me. Right. Um, and, and I'm then, sure when you went through your divorce and, and that horrible experience, I'm sure that really impacted how you felt rocked about my confidence. Yeah. Rocked so, it. so what were some of the things like, what are some daily practices that you do for the, to, to benefit and boost that mindset? and manifesting. I'm picking up my gratitude journal like, okay. that you guys can't see. I carry it in my briefcase all the time. Yes. I still call it a briefcase. I don't know why my sister makes fun of me, but um, <laughs> uh, that's definitely the lawyer part that never went away. 
but I carry it with me all the time. And sometimes I have to do multiple gratitude lists a day and I have to get granular about it, right? I have to say, I'm grateful that I have Flonase and that I can buy it to deal with my allergies. I'm grateful that I have lip gloss that I like. I mean, it is absurd, but that actually does shift you into a place of appreciation. Right. And, you know, if I'm going to receive anything beneficial, I have to be at that energetic level. I was talking about it as like two trains, you know, if train A is at the, um, you know, very high up, um, like on a 10 on a scale, and it is everything that you want, and you're not believing in yourself, and you're feeling very poor that day, you're on train two, right? So it's your job to go from train two to train 10 so that you can get on board with it. Right. And you can receive whatever train 10 has coming at you. And some days it takes me, you know, a a lot longer of my day to work on my mindset. And sometimes it takes me five minutes and I'm ready Mm -hmm. to go and I'm running in the direction, but I give myself enough grace to allow it to take whatever it takes. Right. And that if there is a day where it's not where I want it to be, here's the trick. I cancel everything. Ah. Why? Because everything is infused with the energy with which I bring to the table. I like that. And so- If I am going to send out a big email or putting together a big launch and all of that, I do not want it infused with this energy of a two. I want to be back Mm -hmm. on a 10. And if that means that I need a day off or I need to, you know, have another therapy session or whatever it is, or just listen to a a manifestation podcast or something like that, then, then I'll do it and prioritize myself. And when we leave ourselves behind and expect ourselves to constantly perform like a robot, then yeah, we're we're not only going to get the results that a, a robot would get versus get the results that our full selves, our yeah. entire beings would be capable of creating. That's so hard to do as one, a woman to a business owner, and then a single mom on top of it, yep. you know, you've got to take care of yourself when you, when you've got nothing left in the tank. You can. And and one of the things that we've been talking about a lot is just energy level and how important it is to not lower, you know, dim your light to, to, for somebody else. Like if you're, there's this example of, gosh, there's a lot of them, but if you're growing, let those people grow with you. Don't shrink your flower, you know? And it, and it's just important to keep looking for that light and, and not, just because someone else feels small, you don't need to shrink yourself. And I think women do that a lot, especially in, in the business world, they shrink themselves. And I don't know yeah. why, but it's very- We want to make the other person feel comfortable. Yeah. We don't want them to feel bad about themselves. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is when you let go of the responsibility for anybody else's emotions, except for your own and it does, right, that does not mean you're a bitch. It does not mean you're uncaring, right? We are not swinging the pendulum to a 10. It is not either or. It is simply that you are acknowledging you do not hold responsibility for someone else's feelings and that you are going to allow them to be on their own journey. I mean, I try to phrase it sometimes like this, like, how dare you, right? How dare you allow yourself to dim your light so that they stay dimmed too. Right. 
because if you actually shine, aren't you going to be a beacon of what they can become instead? Totally. And, and we have to be okay with that and give them a light to want to, you know, come up to, right? Be the, the moth to a flame and shine. It, it does not mean, and I think it is somewhat attached to the fact that for so long, and it is a truth, there was only one place at the table for women. Right. And now that is simply not true because we are all creating our own tables. Fuck them. Right. And right. so we can, there is no longer this need for scarcity. There is plenty of abundance. Mm -hmm. And so it is in fact, much more empowering for you to say to them, Hey, I get it. I totally understand if this is uncomfortable for you. I hope that one day you will step into your power in the way that you're capable. I Go think I it. told you my um, college experience. I went to a very small liberal arts school. I, I love my school and I would recommend it to anybody. Washington Lee University. And I was inducted into the business school hall of fame. I was one of 12 people in my graduating class. And um, I always had this passion for events. And my finance professor, he, I, I'll never forget, it was a pivotal moment for me where he said, find something you love to do and figure out a way to make money doing it. I'm like, how do I, I love planning parties. You know, I've always been on the party committees and I had decided I am going to be an event planner. And I remember the dean of the business school and, and at that point, you know, People were graduating, going to Wall Street or Capitol Hill and having these big finance jobs. And um, the dean had called me into his office for some reason. And he asked me, you know, what is it that you want to do? And I remember feeling ashamed and like, do I tell him? Do I not? And I said, I'm going to be an event planner. And I remember just by his lack of response that he was disappointed. And I felt ashamed, but I also was like, fuck that. And, you know, at 24, I was probably one of the first people from my graduating class have her own business at 24. And since the school has invited me back multiple years for their entrepreneurship summit, I haven't been able to make it yet. I want to go at least some point to be a speaker. And what I want to do now is empower those women who are in school and who are considering a non-traditional path, a, a non-traditional career choice or something that is just like against the institution to, to do it and to not care, not care, do what your heart desires. And, and, you know, I don't know, I guess it, it does take a level of confidence and, and willpower, but I'm one of those two that if you tell me no, then you've just given me a lot of ammunition. <laughs> I love that. Yes. I wish so many other women, I wish I had that at 24. I didn't, I was practicing law and, you know, I followed the prescribed version of what success was. And I think that that's what he was trying to say to you. And I try to turn those challenging statements into questions more than anything, because I try to, if you rephrase it, like removing the threatening part of it and try to rephrase it as a question, you realize and begin to have empathy for the other person, right? Instead of them saying, gosh, you know, that's so disappointing. What he's really saying is, how are you doing that? Mm -hmm. Right? How are you able to do that? Right? Because who knows, he may have followed that you know, prescribed path 
himself and is questioning, here is someone that is in her early 20s having the gall to do something I still don't have the the gall to do myself. Mm -hmm. So most often they are saying that because they have a tinge of jealousy. You can also phrase it as resonance, right? Mm -hmm. They have a, a way that what you're doing is challenging them. It's resonating with them deeply. And that is why we tend to ask more questions or even be oftentimes more judgmental is because otherwise we wouldn't care, right? right? I mean, it would have no bearing on us whatsoever. But when there's resonance, that's when we're like, how dare you? How dare mm-hmm. you do it differently? Because I fit into the mold. I did what I was told and I'm not happy. And how dare you have to do it too? Wow. And when you don't, that really challenges me and my life and the way that I've structured things. And I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, fun fact between the two of us. I'm so, I, I, I think just like drawn to you just because of your passion and fire about this. But um, you're an identical twin. I'm an identical oh, yeah. twin. And mm-hmm. um, we discovered that both of our twins, so I live in Charleston, you live in Greenville, and you split your mm-hmm. time with New York, and then my twin sister's in Greenville. So fun. It's just so odd. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. I I love making those connections. But one question for you, and, and not to put you on the spot, but if you had to do one thing right now to change the trajectory of your business, knowing you're always evolving, what would it be? Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's still that ever changing journey of just continuing to believe in myself more. I, <laughs> I hate this question because I'm like, ah, oh. um, you're getting I, a yeah, taste of your own medicine I, right now. I am. I am. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. I have, I have some opportunities to do some interviews that would be kind of on a larger media stage. And I've been holding back on doing those. So I would lean in to whatever it is that I think every single one of us has something out there that we know that if we connected with that one person, that friend, or just sent our media kit, which I haven't done, and they asked for, if we just did that one thing, right, we're holding back on it because we're fearful of failure. And I I would lean into that. I would do the thing that scares me the most. I think everybody should do that. I think that's great. It's also very humbling to hear that that's something that you're still working on. And, and, you know, I think we all, it's like therapy. You're never going to be healed unless you're, you know, mm-hmm. Buddha, <laughs> you know, we all have work to do every single oh, day. Yeah. How, how do you hope to be remembered? You know, I just, I hope that someone will be able to say she made a difference for me. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. I hope that one woman or hopefully many women are able to say, you know, my life got better because she was in it. And that's it. Yeah. That's awesome. I think you're well on your way to that. Well, any last plugs or you're such a wealth of information. I'm sure I'm surprised you actually haven't dropped any books so far, but any books you'd recommend or podcasts you'd recommend for women who are on the same journey and and need that source of inspiration. Um, And also feel free to plug your latest masterclass. Um, You're putting out so much good information that would benefit so many people. Yeah, um, a, a couple of different things. It's, as far as books, I always tell clients, um, read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And it's very short, sweet, easy to read. And that will challenge you to begin to think bigger. 
then, I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, B 2.0, I haven't talked about that one in a while, Beyond Entrepreneurship um, by Jim Collins. I absolutely loved that book. I think I read it multiple times. So those are two amazing ones. If you have a bigger business beyond seven figures, then Traction by Gino Wickman, for sure. And then, uh, yeah, I have a podcast as well called Hitting Rock Middle. I'm getting ready to relaunch that at the end of February. So I'll have new episodes, but there are many episodes, I think 60 plus on there already. So go check it out. Um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, um, I've been trying to come up with master classes so that they're short and sweet, deep dives into certain topics. So I have one on chat GBT because everyone should be leveraging uh, AI right now to write content for you. And that it, it, it is an insane masterclass. So that one, and then this one about attracting the life that you most want um, and most deserve. I just released that one last weekend. And so that's going to be up on the um, website. And then of course, if you're really wanting to level up and be able to take your business to a much bigger level than the sales accelerator, right? That's what's yeah. going to give you my system and way of reframing your perspective and shifting into this sales mindset that really will will double and triple your revenue. And where can they find that? All of it is on my website at um, it's grow with the brim and that's B R I M M dot com or it's easy. Um, everything I do is on Instagram. So at the underscore brim. And we're always on there. DM us, say, hey, if you liked this episode, tag us. Um, we'd love to connect. Amazing. Sally, thank yeah. you so much. You have, every time we connect, you're filled with so much value. And I hope that everyone who's listening today is inspired and go check out Sally's stuff online. She's amazing. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you.